because you know how sometimes it could be more work than other times. Oh I'm yes, part of, yeah. I'm part of the host. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll try to go easy or make it easy for you. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's save that. We'll get we'll come back to that in a minute when we're actually after we actually start. where people strive to conquer the digital landscape, the best leaders are moving forward and planting flags. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers Podcast, where you can hear about the thrill of digital victory and the industry's best guidance on how to win with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. So are you hearing that noise? You must be hearing that noise in the background. I mean, to me, it's, it sounds deafening. So I assume, uh, I mean, I have a good mic, but it's not, yeah, you got to be hearing that. So here's what's happening. Um, this is what happens when you wait until Saturday to finish all of your podcast work. So typically, uh, I'm here uh, in, the, in the far northwest OGGN studios, uh, the satellite location which also happens to be uh, uh, here in a neighborhood. And um, in fact, if you listen to the tech show, the Oil & Gas tech show uh, this week, you, you, you'll hear I'm dealing with a whole different problem. But it's not as bad as this one. In the tech show, it was just kids playing basketball, which actually sounds kind of nice. But now, now the heavy machinery is out. Um, so in this version of, uh, which by the way, uh, welcome to the Oil & Gas Digital Doers. Podcast. I know you already know that, but uh, I'm supposed to say it. Uh, which, which, by the way, is sponsored by our very good friends at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. And if you're not familiar, well, you got to be. Uh, if you, I mean, you've listened to this show, right? So you have to know what HPE does. And right now, with the heavy equipment in the background, it's probably not the best time for me to try to, try to explain it to you. However, we do love those guys, and they love the oil and gas industry. So go to hpe.com. I'm telling you, they are our friends. They can help you. And um, uh, so, yeah, so here on uh, so today's Digital Doers episode, uh, I've got, I got, I mean, I, I don't know about you folks, but... Do you remember? I remember when a lawnmower was just a lawnmower, and if your neighbor was mowing the lawn, you know it, there was a little noise outside. It was it was kind of in fact sometimes you know in the summertime you hear the lawnmower going. It, you know it's uh, it's kind of uh, therapeutic. But but now the equipment that they bring out to these jobs. Now I don't know if this this is how it goes here in Houston in the Houston suburbs. This is we have we have these crews that come, and I'm sure they have it in other places. But I don't know maybe maybe not everywhere. But these crews show up. And they got some serious, uh, they got serious equipment, and it's really loud. And God help you if like it's happening, like on both sides and in the back, and, and it's uh, becomes deafening. Anyway, I don't usually have this problem uh, during the week when I am supposed to do my work, but I do, <laughs> I do have this problem on Saturday. Ah, yes, here's a new sound coming in right now. So, uh, so the good news for you, faithful listeners, is that uh, this whole noise situation is going to cause me to wrap up this, this rambling intro that I would typically would last another two minutes or so, and I'm just going to wrap it up now. The only thing that I'm going to mention is that uh, today's guest is, uh, I, I, it's a, this is a great conversation you're about to hear. Um, he is, he, and, but he does have one of those, um, he has one of those names that for those of us who were raised, you know, who grew up 
only speaking English. And believe me, that puts us at a, at a disadvantage in the world. It's not a great thing. Only speaking English. Certain, certain countries, certain languages put the letters in very unusual arrangements. And we have, uh, we have sometimes a very tough time with it. So I am going to do my best uh, to, uh, to say this correctly. And those of you and all of my Dutch friends out there, uh, and even probably anybody from, from any part of Northern Europe, please do your best. Not to laugh at me when I say, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the OGGN Spotlight, Martijn van Norden. And we are here with, uh, I, I have a fantastic guest today, and I'm learning how to say his name. So, um, I mean, I... They, they just heard your name. Hopefully, in the intro, before the little exciting musical interlude uh, that I will record later, I will say your name correctly. So, But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a shot right now. So, Martijn van Nordenen. Is that... That was it? actually really, really good. Yeah? Yeah, not, not so bad. Yeah, um, spot well, on. I, yeah, so what everybody doesn't know is I already practiced five times in the first four times well, you just laughed. five michael you laughed at me, you laughed at me. so uh, martin uh coming beaming in from uh the, so this is something i've always also been confused about is it the netherlands or just netherlands it is actually the netherlands the netherlands and you like yeah. to do that with a lot of cities right like the hague and i think you're in the something else right the... <laughs> i'm i'm in a city without a the uh, this is one okay. of the the poorer areas probably of the netherlands <laughs> <laughs> but i uh, i live in schiedam so today i'm uh, i'm coming to you from schiedam and schiedam doesn't have many claim to uh, claims to fame but uh, we pride ourselves of uh, being uh, one of the booze capitals uh, of the world i don't know if <laughs> you do, do you uh, ever drink Kettle One vodka? I uh, well, yes, um, when it's available. Uh, I mean, it's always available. But uh, is that is that where it's from? Yeah, it is from this town. Yes, I had I did not know that. Um, so so when it comes to martinis, I'm really a, I'm a gin person. I'm a traditional martini person. But um, but I do uh, so I'm not a big vodka. But you know you got to have it on hand for for Bloody Marys and uh, you know for the, for occasionally when my daughter wants a Cosmo. So um, so yeah, it's and then uh, th this is your brand. It's, that's the. I, that, I always try right? to plug our local produce whenever so not, I can. So I should quit buying the Stoli and I should I should switch over to the uh, absolutely to the Dutch absolutely. Vodka. All right, very good. All right, so um, let's see. Uh, so what else about you? So you're there in. By the way, we have a we have a city here. We we've, we've started the the trend. I get probably follow in your footsteps because we have a a city here near Houston called the Woodlands. So I think. Well, there you go. I think yeah. we're I think we're getting the hang it's of it. It's rubbing off. <laughs> we're getting the hang of it. That's of course where where the big Exxon Mobil campus is now. Um, uh, all right. So so you're you're at you're at Salesforce now. We're going to get to that in a second. But you also have like this really interesting. I mean, you just. You just jumped over to Salesforce recently, but you did spend a long time, I think like like fifteen or plus years, something like that, at Shell Chemicals, right? That was that was kind of the bulk yeah. of the the last Correct. couple decades for you. Um, and I did notice that most of your work there involved uh, what they call commercial, right? Is that uh, absolutely you were various yeah. roles related to? So, 
Um, so for people who maybe aren't familiar, like what does that mean? Like when you're in the chemicals business and you work on, on the commercial side, what does that mean that you're, what do you, you know, so you're not a chemical engineer, you're on the other side of the business, right? No, I actually, um, I'll, I'll let you in on a, on a little secret. Well, it's maybe not so secret, but I studied law. Uh, so I have a master's in Dutch law. And then, yeah, I have that then in my notes as often, well. I was coming to that, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I, I jumped the gun on that one. But people it's often right, ask yeah. me, so so how come that with a, with a, a, an education like that, you end up uh, in a commercial role? And my answer usually is that uh, when you practice law, you're also trying to convince people. And that's one of the things that, um, that I have always liked about uh, doing commercial things. If you talk to my parents, they will probably say that uh, when I started talking, I actually started started negotiating, um, but I, I entered into a more commercial <laughs> career somewhere around the age of 15 or so. I started selling things next to being in high school, and then I worked all the way through university um, and ultimately uh, yeah, landed in, in a commercial career, indeed in Shell Chemicals, and it's one of the things that I, uh, that I like the best. Um, it's so much fun, and, 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 and you know, Michael, what, what what I discovered, but that only came like uh, when I was 24 or so. I started doing a real job. So I had graduated from law school and started working. And one of the things that I discovered at the time is that if you approach sales more in a consultative way, so if you look more for, so what's the need of the person that I'm talking uh, to and, and how can I satisfy that need, um, then it's, it's not sales at all. It's more like helping people. And that's something yeah. that I get... Right. A lot of energy from so once i discovered that um i decided yeah I'm, I'm going to stick with this this is good fun good 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 all right so um well and, and sure and anytime you're and and commercial i'm going to start three different sentences and finish one of them um commercial uh the commercial part of the business isn't only about sales right it's not it's not like a it's not synonymous it's not like one of those fancy words that what we mean is really just a sales guy right um which is i can yeah. see why the law part is actually very applicable because it, it's all about how you engage with the market and with your customers and things so what when you're in a um so when you're in the chemicals business shell chemicals and you're working um uh, and and I only I'm only pausing on this for a minute because you know we have people people listen to the show from all different backgrounds you know the, the oil and gas industry is so broad that maybe some maybe some people aren't really familiar with what what is this uh, what does it look like when you're working on the commercial side at a big chemicals company what does that what does that entail. So it usually starts with um, taking more of a marketing mind and thinking, so I've, I've, I've got these products, um, where can I sell them to the highest value? So where, what up applications are there for the molecules that we produce? And I think that's, that's like everywhere in the oil and gas industry, right? You're always trying to maximize uh, the value uh, of the incremental ton uh, that you're able to produce uh, and sell. So you start with thinking, okay, who am I going to sell this? to what applications do i want to focus on then which customers are there uh, in that uh, in that area uh, yeah and then it's a matter of reaching out to them and usually in in the chemicals industry at least everybody knows each other it's it's not a very big world so you've got uh, some some pretty big companies that all either supply each other or they buy from each other or they are in joint ventures uh, together um, at, at times, I've I've joked that it's a it's a bit incestuous um, because everybody's constantly uh, yeah, doing business yeah. with each other. Um, <laughs> 
It's like but Amway, also, right? Like you, you yeah. So the people that you, right? Yeah, sure, okay, <laughs> I get it. Exactly, yeah. And then, and then ultimately, so once you've identified that you want to do business uh, with each other, then the negotiation starts, and that's where, um, again, I've I've learned a lot, and I've had a lot of uh, good fun uh, interacting uh, with these customers and and partners because what you're looking for, I know that um, there are some people in the industry who think it's a zero-sum game and if if I win you lose etc in my experience that's not what it is it's really about how can you maximize value for both parties because this is not a transactional relationship you need to be uh, together for for several years sometimes even decades long so you need to make sure that both of you gain something from it yeah 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 yeah. no that's good Um, and and it makes sense that you would take all of that Uh, I'm sure that the the folks at Salesforce were probably very happy to have somebody. In fact, um, it's a bit of a, I mean, so you, Shell's a Salesforce customer, right? So did, did somebody make a fuss about that? Did they, uh, how, how, they said, sure, go over there and help those guys, I guess, was the... Not to this day. Nobody has told me that uh, <laughs> okay. I shouldn't have made this move. Uh, no, in fact, uh, uh, yeah, we're we're all uh, free people, and um, and and I wanted to go to um, a place where I could still um, work on digitalization uh, of the business because that's something that that I think. Well, we're already seeing, but there's a lot more out there uh, that is going to happen. And I guess that's also the whole topic of uh, of the Digital Doers uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I thought, I, I want to get closer to the source of innovation uh, because it, it's really nice to be implementing. And I've, I've done that for a number of years and that went uh, quite well. And we'll get to talk a little bit about what the secret sauce is that you can apply there. But ultimately, there's so much more in terms of innovation that's coming our ways. And I got really excited about being very close to that source. And uh, yeah, obviously, there are other um, big cloud computing companies that, that I could have joined. Um, but knowing the technology of Salesforce and the culture and the people, this was like my dream place to uh, to land. And I was really happy that I could eventually yeah. Yeah. make that dream reality. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Um, that was well well said, just in case any Salesforce people are listening. You want to make sure that uh, they know <laughs> that, that you're all in. So They uh, might, yes. <laughs> they... Uh, um, I, I know a few of those folks. They're, they're all they're all great people. Salesforce has a has a relation uh, relation has a reputation going back. I mean, the company's been around a long time. But and we were joking about this before we when we were just chatting before. Uh, you know, when they started out, they were the they were the cool kids uh, with their CRM. You know, cloud based. It was cloud based before. We didn't even say cloud back then, right? It was just it was. But it was maybe we said software as a service, but um, it was cool stuff. And there and I said, you know, are they? Are they still the? I mean, because you know it's been twenty years or something like that, right? So are they still the cool? Can we still call them the cool kids? And what did you? You said ever cool. They're ever cool, right? They're so ever the, cool. Yeah, ever cool. Yeah. So the cool so never goes away. Cool. <laughs> it's timeless. Timeless cool. So what? Um, so what are you doing? So we want to get into today's topic, which I think you're very passionate about. Um, and I mentioned earlier that um, this is something that always comes up in digital transformation discussions the kind of the organizational change aspect of it um, um, and everybody always kind of affirms that it's very important but I, I mentioned that 
people don't have a lot of details to to comment on. It's sort of like one of those things that we know is important. Um, and uh, so I want to come to that. Um, but just real quick, what are you, so how are you, so now you're at Salesforce, what are you, what are you doing there? What's your, what's, how, how did you, how did you repackage your, yourself from 17 years in the commercial side of Shell into, uh, to hang out with the cool kids? Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I'm, my, my job title is an industry advisor. Uh, and basically I help people in the oil and gas and the chemicals uh, industry to benefit from all of the technologies that uh, Salesforce has to offer. And if you compare it to other people that you could ask uh, to help, obviously I've got a ton of experience and, and understand how things work. Uh, in the industry because I've worked there uh, for such a long time but also what you often what I often see when I speak to people about digital projects is that they talk about the cool technology uh, yeah. or the thing that it does. Hardly right. ever do we get to talk about the business outcomes that you enable. And and that's something that I would like to see if I can help with, that you translate certain strategic outcomes that you're aiming for, and through the use of technology, you get to realize them. And I think that's um, it, it may sound like a trivial difference um, but for me that that makes all of the difference and it actually also relates to the whole topic of change management yeah so uh, no I'm with you um, and uh, you know the idea of starting or anchoring to business outcomes is also becoming a popular uh, topic of discussion but um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you something that I've asked other people and um, and I'll tell you that so far I haven't had like really great examples. <laughs> so, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Like, so no, what uh, are some what are some uh, good examples of the kinds of business or strategic outcomes that you're seeing people take aim at? And I mean, not just like work faster, operational efficiency, but like, but like, what are some real industry things where you can say? Uh, this is how it's been up until now, and with these initiatives, uh, we're we're looking at these kinds of outcomes. I didn't we didn't prep for yeah. this question, so you know you can you can pass if you want. But no, and and and, and you did put the bar uh, like really up there, uh, so thank you for that. Uh, no, but I'm happy to talk about that because what you, what you often see when we talk about digital transformation, we're actually discussing digital optimization. So I'm, I'm doing more or less the same thing that I did before, but now aided by some digital technology and therefore I can right. do it quicker or with fewer people. Um, and you liberate some time. And to tell you the truth, Michael, that's also how I started this journey of the Salesforce implementation that uh, that we did at uh, Shell Chemicals. But what you find is that that doesn't, from a business outcomes perspective, it doesn't move the needle so much. Because um, you you save a little bit on um, the, the, the productivity or you gain a bit on the productivity and you might save a little bit uh, on the effort that you spend to do your uh, daily business. But very often, specifically if you speak to the more senior leaders in the organization, um, they don't see on their bottom line. If you save them two FTE, that doesn't really make a dent uh, in their cost structure. Um, and I've also had these conversations like, yeah, but if you don't fire those people, then what have you really saved? Well, now, I would say, that, yeah. 
and 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 it's a valid argument, but I would say, well, but you've you've just um, released these people to do more value add work. So uh, how you then redeploy them? That is really the business prerogative. I can only give you back that time. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> but that's digital optimization, right? It's it's yeah, not yeah. real digital transformation. So for me, digital transformation is that you get certain capabilities that you didn't have before. And I'll give you an example. We were launching um, a new um, polymers business. Uh, in um, so so the company uh, was making a, a huge investment, like tens of billions, uh, in a new business. Shell Polymers, and there was this big launch event that uh, was going to uh, to be the National Plastics Expo. You may have heard of it in Orlando, and it, it only runs every two years. So you also couldn't afford to miss uh, an instance because then you'd have to wait for two years before you sure. could do it again. So the launch sure. event for the business... Um, and at the time, there were maybe six or seven salespeople uh, in the organization, and there were three and a half thousand leads. And uh, about 12 weeks before the show. So, so how do you solve that? How do you ensure that you reach these people and you try to qualify them? Because in, in normal circumstances, you would call those people and you would ask them a couple of questions. And then you would know, is, mm-hmm. is there, right. are these really qualified leads or not? Well, with 3,000, um, it's tough. Yeah, yeah. That that's really tough, especially if you only have like six or seven salespeople. So what we did was we implemented something called uh, the Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and that means that you can automate a number of these steps. But better yet, um, it's like automated lead nurturing. So you send these people a message, but based on how they interact with the content, do they open the message? Do they click uh, on on one of the links in there? Do they watch a video? Uh, do they fill in a form? All of those variables you can then use to say, okay, with every interaction, I get a choice. Do I now send them another email or do I maybe give them a call now? Or uh, is there another way that we want to interact with them? So you're using technology in order to sort of shape that that journey, that uh, conversation or dialogue with your customers. And I think for me, that starts to go into the direction of digital transformation because the outcome of this was that we had some some 35 or 40 customers that really said, so it, it's like that almost that proverbial needle in a haystack that really said, yeah, I want to sit down with you and I want to talk about what you can offer. It would have been impossible if we didn't have this digital technology to pull that off. Yeah. Sure, sure. That no, that's right. That's good. It's a good example. Um, <laughs> I have to laugh. Uh, so the, the the bit that you said in the beginning uh, of that uh, well constructed spiel, by the way, is uh, uh, about okay. But you're not really going to fire these people, but you've freed them up for uh, doing more important things. So m- much of my career uh, for for fifteen or twenty years or so was was in the world of consulting, like you know, big IT systems consulting and things like that. And we used to do that all the time to sell, uh, to convince people. You know, because most of the time when you're, so talk about, you know, negotiating and, and being in the commercial world and law and you're trying to convince people to do so. When you're in consulting, you're always trying to convince people to do something that they probably weren't going to do if you weren't there trying to convince them to do it. And one time we had this, um, we, and, and we used that argument or that, that 
uh, it's an argument, uh, that persuasion all the time, which is a lot of these the projects that we would do, we're going to build the system, we're going to implement this thing, we're going to integrate these things, and it's going to create all these efficiencies, and it's going to save you the two FTEs or the four or whatever. And then it would be like, okay, but and and but but you're really not going to fire these people, or are you? Um, so one time we were, I was I was using that um, that that technique with a. I can't even remember the company now, but it was a guy who was sort of a, at that time to me, seemed like an older sort of seasoned operations executive type. I don't remember what his title was exactly. And he said, well, you know, but we're not, you know, let's face it, you know, we're not going to get rid of these people. So how are you going to save me any money? And I said, well, but here's the thing. See, is you get to, you get to free them up to work on more strategic things. And then there was this pause and he looked at me and he goes, like what? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I had nothing. <laughs> I was like, I got nothing for that. I like what? And, and he's so um, so. I, I, I the the but it it plays to your point of um, just optimizing some things here. Is and there. that company still in business, Michael? <laughs> it makes me wonder. <laughs> <laughs> so so. Uh, um, you know, I mean, you could see his face was like, I can barely get them to do the things that I hired them to do. What kind of fancier <laughs> stuff do you think that I'm, I'm going to get them to do? <laughs> so, so, um, but your point actually plays into something else. You know, uh, last month, uh, November, our OGGN monthly industry mixer, the panel discussion was about how do you go from, okay, we've all sort of got the hang of digital initiatives programs, but how do you go from that to complete digital business, which... I think the terminology you're using is going from optimization to actual transformation, but it's the same concept, right? How do you, okay, we've, we've figured out how to take a POC. You know, in the beginning it was like, okay, we got a POC, but we can't figure out how to deploy it and do anything with it. And we've gone beyond that. So now we know how to, we know how to deploy and do stuff and we're improving specific operations and maybe there's some value in that and maybe there's not, but like what's, like you get beyond that. And you talk about transforming the business in its entirety. Is that you're nodding? I see you yep. nodding. So the audience doesn't see you nodding, but I see you nodding. So so yeah. So I got that right, right? Is that uh, that 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 really makes a, a ton of sense? And um, so what what we created in Shell Chemicals, the Salesforce uh, implementation, we we didn't call it uh, Salesforce uh, because we thought that was uh, that that was just a bit stupid. Because, so so because we oil companies chemical companies don't sell. You don't have customers, right? Why would you have something called Salesforce? Force. That yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've been told that many, many times by by people saying, "Yeah, Martijn, uh, crackers don't pop up like mushrooms overnight." So we know our customers. We, <laughs> okay. we really don't need. I'm gonna have to break that one down later. What was that? <laughs> Crackers yeah. don't pop up like mushrooms overnight. Okay. Yeah, it's like you know that they are constructed well in advance. So we know yeah, our customers. Yeah, gotcha. We know this industry. And and what I often said, um, and and there's actually I need to attribute a quote to a colleague uh, of mine, Tim Drevening. Uh, he was one of our um, our, our salespeople uh, in Shell Chemicals, and he had this brilliant quote. He said, "Everything in life starts with an opportunity." And for me, that, that, that was very powerful because also if you are with a customer that you've been dealing with for decades already, at some point that contract comes up for renewal. If you are not managing that, if you are not 
starting early enough with your work and then engaging with the right stakeholders in your company and talking to the customer, etc. Um, then how do you know that you get the optimum value for both parties out at the other end of the negotiation? Mm. And if you just have one customer, that's easy, right? But if you have 10 and all of these uh, contracts expire at different dates, it becomes a bit more complicated. Now, you could say I could do that in Excel um, and you would probably be right. But then if you are the EVP of the chemicals business and you need to review your entire portfolio, it becomes a pretty big job if everybody then has to send all those spreadsheets to a central person. And by the time that person has consolidated all of that information, it's probably out of date. Yeah. So yeah, sure. Sure. enter digital. <laughs> but nobody right? knows, so because it's okay, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But it, it tells you something also about the prize, like the, we started with business outcomes, the prize that's still out there. If you are able, so suppose you have like 100 different contracts with customers and all of them have like a 10% optionality uh, in there, which is very right. common in our industry, right? right? But knowing, are those are those contracts in the money or are they out of the money? And when do I want to exercise them? And and when do I want to be very silent and hope that the customer underlifts so that I have more volume to sell elsewhere? That kind of intelligence, that kind of augmentation can come from a digital platform. It yeah, could yeah. it could send you like uh, a message, and and that's what you talked about when you said digital business. These days, those things become conversational. So if you look at the Slack acquisition that Salesforce did, uh, you could get a reminder on Slack saying, uh, "Hey, um, don't forget this contract is coming up for renewal," or "Hey, we saw that uh, contract X Y Z is now in the money because the spot price for this." product is um, is A and your contract price is B. So the upside that you have to negotiate for is C. Yeah. That, All that, of that. Right. And, and it's, it's so easy to program that. We just need to get ourselves to do that. And then we're not talking about uh, productivity anymore, but then we're really looking at how do we up the value of our business by leveraging these digital tools, by augmenting the humans in our business yeah. with these digital tools. No, that's, great. that's a great example. Um, and that would be a very useful thing to get on Slack compared to some of the things I sometimes get on Slack. That would be, that would be a very <laughs> useful, a very useful business. Um, but, but I think you're getting, so that, that, that is a, it's an excellent example and it kind of leads right into where, where we want you want it to end up today because now that you start talking about really transforming the business in, in significant, meaningful ways, you, you undoubtedly, like you can't do that with, zero impact to your current people and organizational yep. way of thinking and and so so it's like hooray we have the technology and as you said it's very easy nowadays to do these things that, that even just a few years ago would have been very much different more difficult um hooray we can we've got the we have the technology um and now i just destroyed my like my like my people don't know how to work this way right so so then so so what do you do about that yeah yeah. And that comes have to you, and, that's when, and that's the question that nobody nobody has good answers for. Well, <laughs> so. let, let me see if I if, if I can give you uh, my perspective uh, on that and then I'll let you judge whether that's a good answer or okay. not. Have you come across this uh, this quote if you build it they will come? 
Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Baseball, and, and baseball I movie, think, originally. Yeah. yeah, indeed. And I and I think that's often also applied on all kinds of digital and IT projects, right? We've got this cool technology, and when we roll it out, everybody will start to use it. And then, mm-hmm. of course, you you have the launch date, uh, and it's it's open for business, and there's like dead silence, nothing happens, yeah. and. Often what you see is that then people start to make those comments that you made earlier as well. Yeah, change management is is really important and uh, we should focus more on on change management, which is true. But actually, um, I think as we start thinking about and writing our investment proposals for the investments that we're doing, we should factor in the whole topic of change management because whichever way you turn it, ROI only comes from adoption. And adoption comes from either usefulness or not being able to uh, avoid it. And I think those those two um, tenants are are the ones that I have used and and have seemed uh, to work. So so it starts with how you design whatever you are building are you using uh, things like design thinking are you really looking at so what do my users get out of this and we very often talk about customer centricity and how that's important and i totally buy that but for me user centricity that's like um, the other side of the coin or i've also talked about the yin and yang or the light and the dark one cannot be there without the other Uh, so I think building that into your solution will go a long way. There's also an element of um, not being able to avoid it. So if in this digital platform or tool that you're building, you can come up with a couple of um, actions that people can't do without accessing the tool, then you've already established a beachhead for your change effort. Um, for example, in, in the platform that we built on Salesforce, and by the way, I didn't share with you yet how we called it, and we oh, thought yeah, yeah. it was a pretty neat name, yeah. So it, it, we called it the Chemicals Customer Curiosity Cloud, or 4C <laughs> for short. And um, there was a reason that we called it the Customer Curiosity like Cloud. Yeah, good. Yeah, because curiosity, it's easy to model. It's easy to follow. It never goes out of fashion. And if you think about um, a commercial role that that you have, usually it is about being curious uh, about the other people, at the other the, the other person at the other side of the table, right. uh, understanding what their needs are and and how you can help them. And I think um, when when I implemented that platform in Shell Chemicals, the the thing that we used and it was a stroke of luck uh, that that made it really sticky was the fact that you couldn't do your contracting unless you went through the platform Um, and there were reasons for that Uh, one of the reasons was the fact that from a controls perspective uh, with the the size of the contracts that you have in in the oil and the gas and the chemicals um, industries you don't want people to to be like a lone gun and and just fire at will right you, sure. you want some scrutiny some senior le- 
leaders, uh, maybe even a panel looking over their shoulder. So there's a, a level of authority that people have to do certain deals. Uh, and one way to make sure that they don't exceed uh, or overstep those boundaries is by automating that. And that's where our contract lifecycle management um, piece of the platform came in. Got it, and I got think it. that's how we established the beachhead. And, mm-hmm. and then we said, well, if you do your contracts here, it would only make sense to then start with an opportunity because everything in life starts with an opportunity. Um, so now you've already got people in two parts of your sales cycle engaging with the platform. And from there, you can expand further. But what we also found, Michael, is that it just doing that doesn't really cut it. And I spent a lot of time thinking about um, all kinds of theories that I could apply to getting people to change their behavior. Um, So I I went to things like fields like uh, systems thinking. Um, I went to, uh, actually, which is now quite relevant, I bought this book uh, called Contagion, How Ideas Spread. And basically it dealt, uh, it's a a pretty interesting book. It dealt with, if you look at how um, a virus spreads through a population, could you model spreading your idea or your behavior through yeah. a population in the same way? And, and the models that they use are around how many connections do people have? Hmm. So if you know that somebody has a connection with, with 10 other stakeholders in your organization, right. if you could map all that, you could target those individuals uh, and, and get the biggest bang for your buck in your change efforts. Yeah, and, yeah. and I started to think about behavioral psychology and all kinds of fancy stuff. And then one one afternoon, I sat down with uh, some people from a, a marketing agency, an ad agency that we were using, and we were talking about an unrelated topic. And I started talking about this nut that I was trying to crack uh, around behavioral psychology and taking people along. And at some point, the guy looked at me and said, but Martijn, what you're describing, isn't that just marketing? <laughs> and yeah. and then yeah. sort of the light bulb you discovered a whole new field yes <laughs> yeah the light bulb went off because that's in fact it is right if you it look is. at um shell advertising uh, to get people to fuel up at their retail station and not that of a competitor it's the exact same thing people have a choice they have a certain behavior and you want to influence that so that they come and fuel up at your retail station yep 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 yeah that's funny so uh, once yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no. I, well, I wanted to. Well, I, 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 I was just thinking. By any chance, that wasn't David Kippen at Aviva Brands who said that to you, was it? It, it wasn't. No, no. Because no, because he's a he's a, a friend of mine who and I, and he has said he has said almost exactly the same thing to me when we talk about the. So they they must be right. They're they're onto something. Those marketing guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think once I started to realize that and once we started to approach this implementation as a product that we were trying to sell, we actually uh, started to to get a lot more traction because then you start to think about, okay, what kind of behavior would we like to see? How do we get people uh, to do that? Um, how do you how do you draw them in? Um, do you uh, have desk drops? So we had these little uh, leaflets that we dropped at people's uh, desks in order to get 
top of mind again. Mm. Uh, we had posters that we yeah. that we hung out. Um, there was this um, there's this this platform called Powtoon. I don't know if you've ever come across mm. it. It's basically a, a really cheap and simple way to create um, a, a cartoon, a, a, an animation movie. Um, so we came up with uh, these characters uh, that sort of um, exhibited or, or lived through a certain scenario, like like a real uh, yeah animated movie. Yeah, Short clips, yeah. just three minutes or so, but they would go through certain steps. They were selling something or they got a service request from a customer. Um, and and you use the same kind of story arch that you use for storytelling. So they yeah. they come across a certain situation. It's challenging. There's a catharsis. They overcome it and yes, they live happily yes. ever after. Yeah, um, yeah. But we did that by ways of animation. And the added benefit of that is that you can then, well, A, it's something that people don't expect. So when they get something like that, uh, in their inbox, uh, or they are shown that at uh, a meeting, a team meeting, it surprises them and they pay attention. So that's yeah. good. But yeah, also yeah, yeah. you can start to use these characters in the rest of your change story because you can load these these characters with a backstory and certain characteristics. Um, one might be humorous, the other one might uh, like to dance. So stuff like that you can start to uh, yeah, yeah. to weave in to right. bring your story to light. That's that's fascinating. Um, very very so so not not. Uh, I well it just cracks me up because you know you always hear people talk about well there's a reputation you know big oil is 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 stuffy and stodgy and not very creative and all that but uh we find little examples like this all the time that don't really don't really fit that mold um it it sounds like uh it sounds like it was wildly successful then if uh uh, ultimately or or at least you have an alternate career as a cartoonist in case it didn't didn't (laughs) exactly well i i I got to uh to help come up with the crazy ideas and then i had a large team of really talented people who ultimately uh made it uh, made it reality Um, I I think there's another there's a book that I'd I'd like to uh, to maybe also highlight here because your listeners um, our audience might benefit from that it's a book it's it's been out there for a while Uh, it was written by Chip and Dan Heath two American brothers one is the professor uh, the other one is more like like a writer and together Mm -hmm. they they write these uh, popular science uh, books and and this book that they wrote is called Switch Mm-hmm. Um, and they use. Um, ha- have you read it? Have no, you come across no, it, Mike? But I have it in your notes, so that's why I'm. That's why I'm acting like I know what it is. I have no idea. What okay. It is. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so it actually the way that they describe change, um, and it's really well documented. Um, uh, but the way that they describe change is via a model where they talk about an elephant, a rider, and a path. And for me, that made a whole lot of sense while I was plotting out this change journey mm-hmm. where I used marketing to to get to uh, to where I wanted to go. The elephant is like the rational version of us. Um, sure. And obviously, 
you don't need this, but I try to diet uh, and and lose a couple of uh, of kilos, <laughs> and and I okay. know why I should lose those kilos, right? Because it's right. healthier, and especially now with COVID uh, going around, it makes good sense to uh, to lo- to shed some weight. Sure. So. If rationally I know all of those arguments, then why and did yet, I go down and get some sweets because, before because the we recorded this show? Right there on the shelf. That's that it all. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. so that's what they describe. The rider sits atop of that elephant, um, but if the elephant, which is your emotions, are not willing to move, if there's no like really deep emotional appeal to do something, then the rider can get awfully angry and can shout and 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 kick. But the elephant won't move. So what I often see happening in change programs is that we very much appeal to that rational side, but we forget that people are motivated not just by their ratio. They're motivated by other things. Um, Hmm. So the way that I've translated that often when we did change, not just on this, but also on others, is like, what's the dream? What's what's the what's the rainbows and unicorns world that we will be in when we finish this? And then you can start to sell the dream so that you you have something that appeals. I mean, um, think of certain certain advertisings advertisements that you've seen. Uh, I mean, we've just had Black Friday and and Thanksgiving, and you've got Christmas coming up. Um, people when they when they try to sell you a perfume for example they don't say this is a great perfume Uh, it smells really nice and 95% of the ingredients uh, are from sustainable sources you wouldn't buy it right (laughs) (laughs) but but if they if they have this this beautiful man or woman who uh, drives a really expensive car through a tropical scenery now you're interested yes of course of course and yet, um, with our digital platforms, I mean, how often do we show people yeah, yeah, yeah. what nirvana they're going to end up in? No. Well, you know, we're so, uh, there's so much analysis, we're so analytical. It, well, it's really funny because we do things, um, you know, we have this discipline built into our business industry sense that says, you know, we need to analyze and we need to do ROI studies and we need to, which, by the way, nobody ever, this is something else I learned in my consulting career. Nobody ever goes back to see whether they got the ROI that uh, that, that rationalized the spend of the, for the project in the first place, right? Like nobody, nobody ever does that. But um, uh, you know, of course, in Shell so, they do all the time, right? They, <laughs> Shell would be different. Um, <laughs> so, so, uh, um, but but is it accurate though? That's the question because so many things have moved since you started that. You know, you're just measuring air. I think you were going to make a point, right? I'm I'm trying to (laughs) dig myself out of a hole here. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, the point is, is uh, we we do all of this analysis um, and and everything, and then we make decisions, and then we do stuff, um, and we see how it turns out, and sometimes we do things according to, like, sometimes it makes sense, and sometimes it doesn't make sense, and... People do th- end up making, my experience, uh, especially with learning, again, kind of growing up in the consulting world, is people decide to do things or not do things for all kinds of different reasons, some of which seem sensible and some of the times they don't and sometimes it's surprising. But but you're right. Like very rarely does anybody ever have a, that clear vision of like that, like that attractive person who's driving that nice car 
that's how we're going to end up, and that's what we're aiming for. That's usually not the. Um, it's not the. Now I don't know how you begin to do that per se in a in a in a business context, but it certainly seems to be the right the right uh, way of thinking. Yeah, and I th- I think it, that requires a lot of collaboration. So it, it requires a brainstorming with uh, with your end users um, and and with your your project team. But I think if you can come up with something like that, if you understand where you're leading everyone, then that will motivate uh, the sure, elephant. Right. So the, the the phrase that they use in the book is you direct the rider, you motivate the elephant, uh, and then you shape the path. And that's what we haven't talked about yet, but that elephant needs to go down a certain path. Um, and the example there of shaping the path is, for example, what I described earlier, that you make certain parts of your solution inevitable because that once the elephant is motivated and it starts moving, it has right. no choice but to follow that path. Yeah, but it yeah. also means that you you look at, are there any roadblocks um, out in the distance that I can already remove so that when the elephant sure. gets there, sure. it, it doesn't stumble? Or are there certain bends that I can maybe smooth out a bit or take out altogether to yeah. make it easier for the elephant to walk the path? Yep, yep. No, yeah, that, that's... that's um it makes sense. So, all right. So, I'm getting a lot of things out of this. I got the I got the elephant in the path thing. I got the everything starts with an opportunity, and I got the crackers and mushrooms thing, which I'm going to have to go back and, and <laughs> assess again. I'm going to have to listen and, and work that one out. Um, uh, all right. So, we're getting at that point. By the way, I I should mention this is probably a good point uh, to mention that uh, because the listeners by now have probably figured out that uh, they're probably saying this guy has such a nice voice and he's making Michael's job so easy by just moving from topic to topic without being so so the, the, the truth of the matter is besides being this uh, this uh, 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 commercial internal uh, industry marketing genius uh, that you also do uh, like you're in the radio business right is, is that that's uh, that's right yeah if I'm not mistaken yep. yeah Yep. Yeah. So, 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 but it's all so it's all local radio, and it's uh, it, it started with my wife saying that I have a really good face for radio. Yeah, something that you've probably never heard. But uh, no, yeah. you'd be surprised how many times I've heard that. Yeah. Um, so you know, but it, but it started long before that because uh, because I happen to know that you started uh, making little radio programs much or much earlier in life, right? So you've had quite a lot of practice. We were um, exactly. we were talking yeah. about the. The days of tape recorders and and, and things like that. So, um, but which I I'm having yeah, a hard time to believe because you don't look like you don't look like um, uh, you don't look like you're old enough to to have had a tape recorder. But um, maybe, maybe things are a little slower in the Netherlands when it comes to that sort of thing. We're we're yeah, we're, and we're I ahead of you over. I, I, I try to sell other people the kettle one vodka and I don't drink so much myself. Maybe that's my secret. And of course, staying moisturized is really so important course, as well. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so we're at the point where, um, by the way, so is that is that radio? I mean, well, I probably wouldn't do me any good to listen to it because it's it's probably not. It's in Dutch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You could yeah. brush up on your Dutch skills. Yeah, I could. Uh, but but I but I but I'm sure it's no. Do you do it like real radio, like like actual like over the air radio? Uh, is it is it? Uh, yeah, but it's it's like a local uh, radio and television station. Uh, by the way, uh, so it's it's really local. You could get it over the internet uh, these days, but it's really for the town of Schiedam. Yeah. Right. So what's going on in the town? 
Exactly. His dog got yeah. out last night and things like that. Yeah. A little bit more than that happens uh, around here. We're a 75,000 people town. Now, I know for you that that wouldn't even qualify as yeah. a suburb. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we don't. Use In Holland, it's pretty big. Yeah, yeah. So, well, no, so, so 75,000. I mean, uh, in Texas, so sure. In Houston, that, that doesn't get you... Uh, it doesn't get you very far, but there are there are tons of towns in Texas that are that big or smaller, you know, smaller than that. So we have we, we do have those. We have those as well. Yeah, I used to um, joke that I've I've taken uh, cab rides in uh, in in Houston. That uh, if I did the same distance in the Netherlands, I would actually leave the country. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's uh, it's true. <laughs> it's really true. I remember. I remember working with uh, some some folks from Norway, and one gal told me one time how she was. They were going to where were they going? They were like they were going to Sweden to shop for the weekend or something like that, right? Or or mm-hmm. I can't remember where they were. Maybe they're going into, into anyway. They're going to another country to shop just on yep. Saturday, right? And uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it's because food and liquor are not as highly taxed in Sweden yeah, as they are in Norway. Well, yes, the the I understand the motivation for it. I have I have paid those bills uh, in in Norway yeah. and, and with my. You were jaw. happy that you could expense it, probably. Yes, it was like oh my goodness, um, but uh, but I just thought it, it's something to be able to say on Saturday I'm going to pop over to another country and shop. So we don't we don't get yeah. to do that here. Even Mexico is too far away. So, all right, we're, we should probably wrap up. And um, uh, what's uh, any, anything else? Any any? So you've had a lot of little like wisdom, jewels of wisdom along the way here. Any uh, since, since you're such an experienced radio person, I'm just going to let you sort of do your own wrap up. So how how would you like to to wrap it up? <laughs> <laughs> that's Surprise. really putting me on the spot yeah thanks for that uh, michael with friends like you i don't need enemies no the that's only fair. thing that i uh, that i would say is if anyone uh, wants to engage in uh, in a conversation around this topic look me up on linkedin i'm happy to speak with you that's my role uh, in salesforce obviously i'm i'm slightly biased uh, towards salesforce uh, solutions but i'm happy to have a conversation sure. with whomever thinks that this area is um is is interesting because i think and and i said that when we when we started on the topic uh, michael ultimately the success of this digital transformation really depends on do you get your organization to come with you um, and if there's anything that i can do uh, to help make that become a reality i won't hesitate to step in yeah, excellent. Good. Well, that see, that was perfect. I knew that you could handle it. So, um, and we will, of course, we will, of course, put your LinkedIn uh, uh, link in uh, in the show notes, along with what, whatever other useful things are there. But uh, um, all right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give it another. I'm gonna see if I can do it twice correctly. Martijn van Noordenen. Did I get it? That was perfect. Now perfect. you really, really, really nailed it. Now I, now I, okay, so I'm not, that's it. I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. Thank you uh, so much for making time. I know it's probably getting a little bit late for you over there. So it's probably, the kettle one is probably calling to you right now. I'm a lot so closer I'm, to it than you are probably, Michael. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes, you are. So thank you. And, uh, and, and maybe we'll come back and, and do a follow-up after you've been there for a little bit longer. And we may have some more, some more jewels of wisdom to share. But I uh, appreciate your time today. I'd look forward to it. Thank you for the opportunity.
All right, folks, as you can now hear, or not hear, as the case may be, uh, the, uh, the heavy equipment has moved on. And so we no longer have that horrible background noise, and I have no excuse for this to be anything less than a, uh, in a bright, witty, uh, sparkling closer to the show. Anyway, uh, it was a great conversation with uh, Martijn. Um, I, love, I love getting those people that have the really deep industry backgrounds, and they come into the tech world, and, and they, uh, they teach us so much and really help us uh, do great things. I, uh, I do want to thank our sponsor once again, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, HPE, not only for paying the bills, which we do desperately need, but man, they are doing some great things for the industry. So have a look at them and also have a look at, uh, at the rest of the OGGN podcast because, well, you know, this is the holiday time and you're going you're gonna to have some downtime. You're going to have some time where, you know, you got a, a, little, extra, a, little, a little extra time on your hands and, and it's a great opportunity to uh, to find out if maybe there are some other OGGN podcasts that you might be enjoying in addition to this one. So you can do that by going to OGGN.com. You can also uh, look at our channel on Apple Podcasts. If you're an Apple, uh, if you listen on Apple, then you can go right to the channel. You can see all the shows. Also, keep an eye on the OGGN. Uh, follow us on LinkedIn and keep an eye on that so that you can find out about any events or special things coming up. Um, it's going to be a little quiet here for the rest of December. We did just have our big holiday charity ball last night, which was amazing um, uh, here in Houston. Uh, but 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 we're gonna we're gonna ramp up the mixers again in January, and there's gonna be a lot of other things happening. So follow us on LinkedIn. That's going to wrap it up, folks. Thanks always to the rest of the OGGN team and most especially my audio fixer guy, Mr. Mac Roman, who uh, always makes this show sound, makes this, <laughs> no matter how badly I stumble over my words, he makes it sound good. And now I'm going to let Mel, the announcer, tell you about why you should come back next week to hear stories about real people in the cast who are getting digital done. Come back next week for yet another exhilarating expedition into the very real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry. A production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.